0: Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1 with It's For Women.
1: The car insurance with extra benefits like personal accident cover. But first, this morning, I'm joined by a woman who has spent most of her life fighting not just for peace and justice in Northern Ireland, but also for women's rights worldwide. A signatory of the Good Friday Agreement, Monica McWilliams has now penned her memoirs, Stand Up, Speak Out, telling of her extraordinary life in activism and politics. And she joins me now, Monica McWilliams. Good morning. Good morning lovely to speak to you listen let's go right back if that's okay Monica and introduce my listeners to the very young Monica McWilliams where did you grow up and what were you like as a child well I grew up in a small market town in
0: county Dairy, um and I learned a lot from watching my father at the cattle markets making a deal slapping the hand of the person the other dealer, and his word was good and obviously they knew if they made that deal they would be doing work with that person again and that was a big life lesson and stood me in good stead about 40 years later when I went to the (laughs) peace negotiations. My mother was the listener in the family. She gave up work um, to come home and get settled down with my father, which you had to do in the days before the Sex Discrimination Act was introduced when married women didn't have to go home and shut the door. So I recall the very happy childhood chasing the cattle and running after the stray sheep and also the formative influences that I got from my teachers. And I do tell the story about bringing a gun into school because the English teacher asked if we had only got a gun, she said, I could explain the naming of the parts much better. A war poem. Well, I had been used to watching my father dismantle the gun in our kitchen, uh, which was used when I used to go out with him at night when the dogs, local dogs, would be worrying the sheep. So I knew pretty much how to dismantle it. <laughs> But by then, Miriam the Troubles had started. Um, I hadn't given it a second thought to stick it in my hockey bag, carry it on the bus, bring it into the classroom and set it on the teacher's table. Well, needless to say, she went hysterical when she saw it. So I describe how I was
1: sent home that day and became the girl on the run with a gun. (laughs) Listen, what do you remember, Monica, of the atmosphere in South Derry during your childhood? I mean, you describe in your book two communities that hardly knew each other. That's exactly what it was like. We grew up with our neighbours
0: on the street as children, Um, but the town had two of everything. Um, It was two dentists, two grocery shops, and you definitely knew which one to go into. But for us as young teenagers, it was more the dance halls. We lived next door to the Orange Hall, and the boys went there, and I could see them out of the bedroom window and thought they were having great fun. We went across the road, straight across to the Marion Hall, which was the parish hall for young Catholic boys and girls, and we never met. Not even on the bus did we chat, um, which is incredible to think that the town mm. could be so segregated. And I say that it was when I became 18 and went to university that I realised there was absolutely no difference between us. But we didn't get to know that till we were 18 years of age.
1: It's astonishing, really, isn't it? How, when you went to university, you went to Queen's in 72, how did the conflict impact on you as a student? Well,
0: I say at the start of that chapter that they were the best of days and the worst of days. I was feeling a great sense of independence. I was looking forward to this wonderful education. Um, I was studying social sciences. My eyes were opened up to all these new subjects. Um, And yet, on the streets and in our flat, we were exposed to something that young women should never have been exposed to, which was horrendous violence. We were hearing gunfire outside the flat. We were crawling on the floor on occasions into the back kitchen to stay safe. We were being put out of the flat on a regular basis because of hoaxes or real bombs. Um, But we took it all on our stride. What should have been abnormal became very normal. And I tell the story of how a massive bomb went off in the supermarket. And we went out and gathered up all the cans um, and thought, well, that will do us for food now for the next month or two. Um, And you just took it. Um, I kept a diary the whole way through, and hence I recall many of the memories from the diary and the book. And it was very sad. There were occasions when I lost myself, very close friends who were murdered during those years. Um, And I still think of them to this day. And later when I came to sit at the peace table, I recall how when you get to that table, you sit down with people who were associated with the people who had murdered a very good friend of mine who was a student at the time, and he was killed by loyalists. um, Is that Michael Mallon? It is, from the same county as I came from. And we used to hitch lifts on a Sunday night because there was no public transport back to the university. And when he didn't turn up, we were very worried. And then to get the shock that he had been shot dead... It was terrible and we had to do our exam, I had to do a statistics exam and the seat in front of me was empty. And the invigilator asked where he was and I said that he had been murdered. Um, It was his funeral and he said, right, get on with your exam. And that's what you did. Um, Very sad days. But, you know, a corner had to be turned. But I didn't know then in 1974 that it would take another 20 years in 1994 before we got a ceasefire.
1: What started you, first of all, thinking about the position of women in society in general? I had the
0: opportunity to get a scholarship to the United States after Michael was murdered. I really wanted to get out and I got a scholarship to the University of Michigan into study in Detroit, actually, in the inner city, and I say in the book that it was as famous for its racism as Belfast that I had just left was for its sectarianism. But it opened my eyes to many other international issues, and of course one of those was the demand for women's rights, um, as were the international struggles and the apartheid, the removal of the Shah in Iran. Um, So I joined many of those movements, and it was the anti-apartheid movement and the women's movement that I joined when I returned home. I wanted to come home after I had qualified. I wanted to give something back. I found it very difficult to sit um, on at night in the dormitory watching the television and the pictures coming in. Pictures like the Le Mans Hotel um, being burned with people that I just felt was a shocking indictment of the troubles and I decided I had got enough skills, I should offer something back and I had the choice uh, to return um, and that's what I did and when I came back the women's aid movement um, in terms of domestic violence was taken off and I joined with my friends in attempting to set up the first shelters and my good friends in, in Derry City, Cathy Harkin, coined the phrase fighting against an armed patriarchy. It wasn't just that there was a very strong patriarchy, that women were meant to put up with this terrible abuse uh, from their partners. And that even that term is a strange one because they weren't acting as partners in the sense that we should know them. And she opened the first um, shelter. And in that first year... Over 90 women and 300 children
1: uh, were housed, and it was also the height of the Troubles, and it grew like a snowball. And alongside your campaigning for women's rights, you also marched against interment. You were a member of the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association. Tell us a little about all that early activism you were involved in as well. It's incredible at the age of 15 to be in that kind of activism. You probably
0: felt invincible. Um, as young 15-year-olds even do today. And my father was very active in Kilrae and he'd started up a co-op movement um, for farmers and cattle dealers. And there was, we were very conscious of the discrimination in terms of housing, in terms of gerrymandering and voting, and in terms most definitely of unemployment. And that's what we marched for. I say that I hadn't got the awareness of feminism at the time when I carried a placard that said one man, one vote uh, should have been one person, one vote. but uh, the first march was at McGilligan Strand and that's where I saw the wonderful John Hume mm. challenging as uh, the commander and asking why CS gas was being used against us on rubber bullets and people were going down at my feet when all we had was sand. That's what we were walking on in that beach. Um, so it was the start of where I cut my political teeth was really in the civil rights movement. But as I said, it... Um, I became quite disenchanted in terms of what I then saw was the horrendous violence and also the civil rights movement was quite male
1: dominated. Well, so shortly, Monica, after Bloody Sunday, somebody tried to kill or bad the injury by crashing their car into yours. Have you any idea who was responsible for that or why you might have been a target?
0: It was a horrendous incident. I had learned to drive. I was taking my friend, who's now the local GP, and we were going to a French class uh, in the evening. And suddenly I spied this car uh, driving very erratically behind me. And in the end, he managed to put me off the road and the car overturned into a field. And Uh, We had to climb out through the window. I could smell petrol and I broke my collarbone and somehow we managed to get a local farmer to contact my father. And when we got home, my father got a phone call to ask if he had a scrap car for sale. Uh, The police, of course, got involved and then they were able to tell us that a number of other cars that night um, had been damaged um, and they put it down to sectarianism. So it was quite a shock at that early age to be exposed to something. But to this day, I would never found out who was responsible, as is often the case Mm. with cases in Northern Ireland. But I spent weeks, as you can imagine, as a young student, young schoolgirl, looking at every car that was identical to the colour of the car that had smashed into me that night
1: terrifying experience, Monica. Listen, you were co founder as well, of course, slightly later on of the Northern Ireland Women's Coalition in ninety six. Initially, what was the thinking behind its creation?
0: Well There was this innovative and very creative design of an election system at which 10 parties would get to the peace talks. It had been designed, as we know, to include the small loyalist parties who were affiliated to the loyalist armed groups. And that was important because everybody, as I said, who were party to the problem needed to become part of the solution. And these talks were going to break new ground, because for the first time the Irish government would be present. And likewise, if there was ceasefires, that was the only precondition to get in. Sinn Féin would also be present. Uh, I sat down on a cafe in the Lisburn Road with my very good friend Avila Murray and we worked it out that we could be one of the ten parties building on the women's movement and the networks of the previous two decades. We thought we should first write to the other parties to see if they were going to put any women at the table and we'd heard for too long that women were being patted on the back for keeping the peace and doing all the work on the interfaces and that we might have had a Bosnia in Northern Ireland had it not been for the wonderful activism of women on both sides. But we felt when the elitist talks, as is often the case, are called, it's generally the constitutional parties or the armed groups who get to a table. And there is no attention paid to who's not at the table. And in this case, it would have been women and women from both sides of the community. And so we decided first to write to the parties who didn't bother to answer our letter and secondly, to form a coalition, which by a dint of its very name showed that we were made up of a mosaic of Protestant Catholic, pro-British, pro United Ireland, a very different kind of coalition. And we wanted to bring that kind of process to the table. And we got shocked that within six weeks of our formation, we succeeded in getting elected. We weren't the last party. We were the ninth party to come home. But the Belfast Telegraph's famous headline was, Hen's party uh, comes home to roost.
1: Wow. I love the story of Brona Hines, the great Brona. I've been lucky enough to interview her Kieran Hines sister, who, remember she rang up the Northern Ireland office official, didn't she, to inquire what the position would be about trying to start a new party? She did indeed. um, We'd called a big
0: meeting. um, May Blood had paid for an advertisement in the papers and called women to come to this meeting to see if it was a good idea. Um, The meeting was packed and Brona then decided to phone and say, can you add another party to the list? Um, And he asked for what the name of the party would be and we didn't actually have a name. The name we came up with was Women's Coalition but we decided the acronym W.C. would become more (laughs) of a joke than the name for a proper party. So Mm. we very quickly decided to put Northern Ireland in front of it.
1: and I covered, though, you lay in bed the night before praying you wouldn't be elected. Why was that? Well, I had two
0: small children and my darling sister, Mary, who was 11 months older than me, had been in a horrendous car accident where she was almost killed and she was obviously trying to survive that and I was the person going back and forward to the intensive care unit and to the hospital and it was a very difficult time and um, my parents needed some care and attention and you know I was married and I had all the domestic responsibilities. The same question that nearly every woman asks when an opportunity comes to politically participate in something that she's unaccustomed to doing. Well I had written enough scholarly articles about the need for women to be involved in decision making when it comes to peacemaking and I thought, well, I can't be a hypocrite and not roll up my sleeves and get involved in this. But at the same time that night, as I lay in bed, I prayed that perhaps we wouldn't get elected so that I could go back to the life <laughs> that I knew. And then I also turned around and tossed and turned and prayed that we would because we'd put so much effort into it. And I had a sense, you know, a kind of intuition that we just might make it and that if we did,
1: we would put our shoulders to the mast and attempt to make the peace process work. And you did make it. I know the first black woman to be elected to American Congress, Shirley Chisholm, you really respect her. And she once said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. You were all determined to go there. Yes, and the Downing State Declaration had lovely concepts in it about parity of
0: esteem um, and equity and inclusion, and even human rights so when we wrote to the two governments we said that we would like them to pay attention to that also not just from a political identity point of view or in religious point of view in terms of catholics and protestants but also a gender point of view um, needless to say they got quite a shock but we weren't going to be selected or appointed so we went out and claimed that space and um, and for a party with no money Um, No telephones. This was just the time when big mobile phones were being introduced and no office accommodation. And I have to pay tribute here to the great women in the south in Dublin and the parties in Dublin and the journalists in Dublin who published uh, what we were doing, who wrote about what we were doing um, and said that the men would come to the table to fight over Um, the colour of those seats, um, the layout of the room. um, But here was a group of women that were determined to make a difference. And I was delighted when other people started writing articles like that about us because it brought some attention to what we were really trying to do.
1: When you revisit that process now and those talks, is there anything you would have done differently? Or do you remain, as we almost reach 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement, which is extraordinary to think, are you just very satisfied with the way everything went?
0: There's lots that I would have done differently, but isn't it amazing how retrospect maybe should have a seat at the table? You Mm -hmm. learn these things afterwards. We should have had an implementation process, and we, as the Women's Coalition, actually proposed that. But Sinn Féin and the Ulster Unionists came to tell us that they were getting on fine and that they didn't need to have an implementation committee. I also thought it was a mistake to lose the Ulster Democratic Party, the UDP, the Loyalist Party. Um, David Irvine's party did succeed in that election, um, but the UDP uh, lost their seats and unfortunately broke their ceasefire. So when you bring people in from the cold, it's really important to keep them inside. Um, So exclusion set in. And under Mo we had a very inclusive process. Um, People did feel their sense of ownership. They did feel
1: a sense of inclusion. And that disappeared and dissipated. When you hear talk now, Monica, on both sides of the border, about a border pole, a united Ireland, a shared Ireland, call it whatever you will, does that fill you with hope or with dread?
0: Well, we always knew that it was going to be a very dynamic instrument, that circumstances would change, Miriam, but Mm. I certainly never anticipated we would leave Europe and now we're having to deal with that. And we were obviously going to have to deal with the constitutional issues that may in the future change given the demographic changes or people's aspirations. And it's good the agreement allowed
1: for that. It doesn't have to be the fear that it somehow has become. And because you've also, Monica, been so involved in reconciliation, going right back to the earliest days of your life and your career, what about the British government's you know, decision it looks like? It wants to stop any future prosecutions, to draw a line in the sand. You and I know there are a lot of families on both sides of the divide who are still grieving for people they lost. What's your view on that? Well, in the book, I draw
0: an example of my own sister after her car accident. She wanted to know what had happened. And the way that you often find out and the driver of the other car had been killed is through an inquest. Um, And she got a sense of healing because it became public that she was not to blame. Um, And that's really important, Miriam, in in a personal sense. Uh, In a political sense, it's also really important for people to get some truth, maybe it's not going to be all the truth, maybe it's not going to be the justice that they had sought, but you cannot bypass the international human rights standards. And those standards do talk about an effective investigation um, and timely. Now, all these years later, those investigations are not timely, but I'm currently sitting on the Canova Governance Board and I know the job that John Boucher is doing there um, and involving families and victims. And that's really important. So I still believe it's possible. It's not the system I would agree with, the one that's currently being proposed for all of those reasons, because it is breaking international standards of human rights, and it will just
1: pass on the trauma from this generation to the next generation. Monica McWilliams, I've loved talking to you this morning. Uh, You've had an extraordinary career, done so much good. Your book, Stand Up, Speak Out, is a wonderful read for everyone, and especially for anyone interested in the politics of this island over the past fifty years. It's published by Blackstaff Press. Thanks so much, Monica, for chatting to me this morning. Thank you, Miriam. Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio One.